0: Thanks for joining us today. I'm Rob Parker, lead pastor at The Plant Church. Our vision is to know Christ and make him known. If you are interested in getting connected, or if we can help you in any way, email us at info at theplantchurch.org. Good morning. Glad to see you here. Feel free to grab a cup of coffee. Grab a friend and join us. How's everyone doing today? Good, good. My name is Pastor Jeremy. I'm the campus pastor here at the Mawa campus. We're so glad that you are here today. Uh, as you know, we are a church with we are one church with two campuses and two locations. So Pastor Rob and Sue, they're at our West Milford campus. Let's give a big round of applause to the West Milford campus they're up there. Uh, We want to continue to keep reproducing. There's a lot of great momentum and exciting. Uh, Pastor Andrew's uh, new baby is getting dedicated there, so we want to always be praying for them and the movement of what God's doing, so we're so excited about that. I hope all of you here are hungry this morning because after the second service, we're going to have a potluck with everyone's leftover Thanksgiving food. So like the leftover turkey and stuff, we're going to be, be, have uh, eat some. Now, I'm sure, is anyone here, can anyone uh, not look at turkey anymore? I'm sure everyone's kind of sick of turkey. Some people don't even like it. But we are... <laughs> till next year, we will crave it once a once year. We'll look at it next year. So um, uh, I just want to wish you all a very Merry Christmas. Am I allowed to say that? I can say that here. Okay. Merry Christmas, everyone. And uh, don't worry, I don't say this before Thanksgiving. It's only after Thanksgiving. So how many of you here like Christmas as your favorite holiday? Anyone have Christmas as your favorite holiday? How many of you here like watching Christmas movies? Anyone like Christmas movies? Did you ever notice that almost every Christmas movie is exactly the same? Have you ever noticed that? Almost every Christmas movie is exactly the same. Miracle on 34th Street. Uh, a Christmas Carol, or It's a Wonderful Life, or Home Alone, or uh, or the Grinch, or or Die Hard, or or one of the one of those like that, um, and they always have to do with this clash of dichotomies between one character that is usually that usually doesn't believe in Christmas and they're cynical and they're skeptical. And they're usually like a Scrooge or a Grinch or something like that. Versus another character who's the innocent person. And it's usually a child. And they do believe in Christmas. And at the end of the story, it's always the innocent character is the one that always wins out. And at the end of the movie, there's some kind of Christmas miracle that takes place. And Christmas is saved. And and maybe even Santa makes an appearance or, or something like that. Every single Christmas movie tries to tap into this idea of like the magic of Christmas, confronting doubt and disbelief. How many of you uh, remember the recent, not recent anymore, the movie The Elf uh, that came out in about 2003? It's become kind of like an instant modern classic. In this movie, Buddy the Elf is this adult human who's grown up and who's raised by elves in the North Pole. And when he grows up, he has this identity crisis because obviously he doesn't doesn't know who his biological father is. So he goes on this long quest and he leaves the North Pole and travels through the, the Sea of Gumdrops and through the seven levels of the Candy Cane Forest and through the Lincoln Tunnel to finally get to New York where his father is. And then when he gets there, he finds out that his father is this angry and cynical, uh, secular young uh, adult, and he's the complete opposite of the young man that he is. But throughout the movie, Buddy's faith and his belief in Christmas eventually turns his father's heart around and saves Christmas in New York City. Buddy's innocence somehow ignites his faith and turns disbelief to to belief in everyone that's around him. This Christmas season, what we're going to be doing is we're going to be in a sermon series called Get Lit. Get Lit, reigniting your faith this Christmas. Christmas season in our society is a time in which we are confronted with a choice to either choose faith or to choose doubt. What we're going to be doing is we're going to be looking through different characters, different people in in, in the true Christmas narrative, not the Santa Claus narrative, in the true Christmas narrative, and see how their faith or their doubt plays a role in the Christmas story. And this morning, what we're going to be doing is we are going, going to be looking at a story to see how God confronts the doubt of one man, and gives him the opportunity to get lit, to be reignited, to be a part of his story. This Christmas, I want to challenge you that God wants you to get lit, and in order to do so, we have to be willing and honest with ourselves and allow him to confront the deepest areas of doubt and disbelief. So what we're going to be doing is we're going to be looking at three Ways of confronting our place of doubt. The first thing that we learn in confronting doubt is this, that God always hears our prayers. God always hears our prayers. Let's look at Luke chapter one, starting at verse five. When King Herod was king of Judea, there was a Jewish priest named Zechariah. He was a member of the priestly order of Abijah, and his wife Elizabeth was also from the priestly line of Aaron. Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes, careful to obey all of the Lord's commandments and regulations. They had no children because Elizabeth was unable to conceive, and they were both very old. One day, Zechariah was serving God in the temple, for his order was on duty that week. As was the custom of the priests, he was chosen by lot to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. While the incense was being burned, a great crowd stood outside praying. While Zechariah was in the sanctuary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the incense altar. Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear when he saw him. But the angel said, don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. Your wife Elizabeth will give you a son, and you are to name him John. You will have great joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. He must never touch wine or other alcoholic drinks. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth, and he will turn many Israelites to the Lord their God. He will be a man with the Spirit and the power of Elijah. He will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord, and he will turn hearts of the fathers to their children, and he will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. So just to give you some background, here we are. We are in the beginning of the New Testament, and God had been silent for over 400 years, and the people of Israel, over time, they had faced never-ending wars. They had faced exile and slavery and destruction. And now again, they are found at a place where they are facing foreign occupation. And this was a very, very dark time for them. The only hope that they had to look forward to was the hope of the future coming Messiah that would come and finally save them. And then we have Zechariah and Elizabeth enter the scene. They are both pastor's kids. They are from the priestly lineage, and their job and role is to keep their faith and their religion alive. And it says that they were faithful in the eyes of God. They were faithful. They followed all of God's commands. They followed the laws. They did everything that they were supposed to. But there was one problem. And that problem was that they were old in age and did not have any children. And they were well past the age where they could biologically have children on their own. And in those old days, in those ancient days, if someone couldn't have children, it was considered a great shame and burden on them socially, financially, and even spiritually because people would think that that, that God that you did something and you sinned, so God was going to punish you for that. So although outwardly they were faithful, deep down, Zechariah and Elizabeth felt the pain and the burden and the woundedness and disappointment of not being able to have kids of their own. Now, Zechariah was one of tens of thousands of of priests who were responsible for for taking care of the operations of the Temple of Jerusalem. Now, the Temple of Jerusalem, it was a large, complex operation to take care of this. It involved many different rituals and sacrifices and procedures and and all these things. And out of all of the priests in his order, his his lot or his number was cast to play the most important role that day, to, to be able to enter the sanctuary and burn the incense. He would have gone inside this dark chamber, this sacred dark chamber where there was a golden altar and there was an altar for for incense and coals. And what his job was, he was supposed to go in there and represent all of the prayers of Israel and bring them up to God because burning incense was a symbol of God's presence, a symbol of the prayers that were going up to God in heaven. And for him, this was a a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. For any kind of priest, this would have been the greatest opportunity and the greatest privilege of his career and his life. It's something that he would have talked about forever. So on this great occasion... He must have been well-prepared, not wanting to screw any of this up. He must have been well-prepared. He must have memorized the list of all the different prayers that that, that he had to pray when he got in there, whether it's for the nation to be set free, or for God to forgive the people, or for God to receive all the burnt offerings and sacrifices, or for for, for the Messiah to, to, to finally come. So he would have gone in there and started praying for all these different things. But after lifting up all of those important prayers, there was still an element of doubt. Would God really listen to these prayers? After all, he'd likely been praying for decades about his deepest request to have a child, but God seemed to be silent all this time. And he and his wife carried this frustration and this disappointment. Most of their lives. But right as he was praying, something amazing happened. All of a sudden, boom, something so shocking and startling happened. When he opened his eyes, an angel of the Lord was standing right there on the right side of the altar, and he was overwhelmed with fear and awestruck. And the angel said, Don't be afraid. God has heard your prayer and you will have a son and name him John. Not only that, this child, this son would not just be a a normal child, but he would have a divine calling and a divine purpose. He will bring joy to many people and turn many hearts to God. And he will be in the spirit and power of Elijah, the, the greatest prophet of the Old Testament. And he would be filled with the spirit. Zechariah was going to have the child... That was prophesized in Isaiah that would come to prepare the way for Christ. Notice that the angel didn't mention all the other important prayers that, that, that he might have prayed. But he mentioned the specific prayer that Zechariah had closest to his heart. A prayer that he might have given up on many decades ago. But God didn't. How many of you remember watching the movie A Christmas Story? Has anyone seen that? I'm sure if you lived in America, everyone's seen that because it's on like the marathon running like 24 hours a day leading up, to, leading up to Christmas. And in this movie, there's a main character named Ralphie up there and uh, if you've seen the movie, this, this character, Ralphie, he wants, f- for Christmas, he wants to get a BB gun, right? A Red Rider BB gun. That's his hope for Christmas. That's what he wants to get. And then his parents keep denying him. They say, what did he say? That you're going to what? You're going to shoot your eye out with this thing, right? So then the, throughout the entire movie, he's sad and he's disappointed and he's depressed because he doesn't get what he wants and this is what he desires. And then he's depressed and sad and And just kind of his head's down. So he decides to escalate things further and go directly to Santa to override his parents and go to Santa. So he goes to the shopping mall and he asks Santa for the same request. What does Santa do? He gets denied too. So then he continues to be sad. He continues to be depressed. And then all of a sudden, Christmas morning comes and they open up all the gifts and he didn't get the gift that he had wanted, that he had asked for. But then all of a sudden at the end, his dad says, hey, I think there's one more gift behind the desk over there. So he goes behind the desk, and to his surprise, he finds the gift, the Red Ryder BB gun, the gift that he's been waiting for, that he's been asking for this whole time. One thing we notice in the movie is that his dad, although he seemed like an angry, grumpy man, he had been listening the entire time. He had been listening the whole time throughout the whole movie. He had been listening to his son's request. He had been listening to his son's heart. He'd be listening to his desire and was planning something behind the scenes that his son could not even understand or imagine. He even kept it away from his wife. Why do I bring that up? Maybe there are some of you here today that you're not asking God for maybe like a material fun thing like a BB gun or a brand new car or something like that. But there are deeper prayer requests that you've had with God all your life. Maybe it's asking for a physical healing in your life. Maybe it's asking for for reconciliation with a friend or with a spouse and you haven't seen that for years. Maybe you've been praying for decades for a prodigal son to return home or for you to have some kind of new opportunity in your life that that you feel a God had been silent to you with. But My question to you is this. Do you believe that God hears your prayers? Do you believe that he hears your prayers and he wants to give you the desires of your heart that are in line with his? Do you believe that he cares that he even cares about your requests and the things that that you ask for, and that he could even be working behind the scenes in mysterious ways. And do you believe that God can speak to you at any moment? But the bigger question is this. When God does speak to you, are you willing to listen to what he has to say? You know, God was listening to Zechariah and he heard this prayer. But how did Zechariah respond? Let's see what happens. And this brings us to our next point. Doubt leaves us speechless. Let's look at verse 18. Zechariah said to the angel, "'How can I be sure this will happen? "'I'm an old man now, "'and my wife is also well along in her years.' "'The angel said, "'I am Gabriel.' I stand in the very presence of God. It is he who sent me to bring you this good news. But now, since you didn't believe what I said, you will be silent and unable to speak until the child is born. For my words will certainly be be fulfilled at the proper time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah to come out of the sanctuary and wondering why he was taking so long. When he finally did come out, he couldn't speak to them. Then they realized from his gestures and the silence that he must have seen a vision in the sanctuary. So how did he respond? After 400 years of God being silent, God speaks the answer that they have been waiting for the whole time, the answer that... that, that, that Zechariah was waiting for, and the answer that the people were waiting for. And instead of of Zechariah saying, yes, Lord, thank you for answering this prayer, he opened up his big mouth and in doubt muttered one of the most anticlimactic responses. He said, similar to Sarah in the Old Testament, how can I be sure this will happen? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in her years. Hello, Zechariah, do you realize that you are talking to an angel? Do you realize that that you're already experiencing something that is impossible? Better yet, this is not just any angel. This is the angel Gabriel who stands in the very presence of God and personally delivers God's messages. But yet, Zechariah had allowed all the past disappointments of his life to sabotage the joy in the blessing he was receiving from God in the moment. Zechariah was so focused on all the pain from the past, all the pain from not being a dad, all the pain of of his wife not being a mother. And what had happened was he used doubt and made it his weapon. Doubt became his weapon of self-protectionism, Doubt became his weapon of self-preservation. I know for, for many of us, even myself included, when I've asked God for prayers and I haven't seen the answer, whether it, it's, it's something when I was young about trying to be popular or this or that, what had happened was uh, when I didn't see these prayers, answers, I would just lower my expectations and what I believe to be true about God. How many of us here have experienced a tough situation in our lives? How many of us have have experienced disappointments or failed expectations or unrealized dreams or hopes that we've had or unanswered prayers? And we've come to a point where we said, you know what? I don't care anymore. No more. I want to be in control. I want to be in control. Sure, I believe that God still exists, but... From now on, I'm going to lower my expectations on what he can do. I'm going to question everything he says, and I may even open up my big mouth and say, God, I have to see it to believe it. And we carry our bitterness and our disappointment, and we build up a wall of doubt instead of firing an engine of faith. And I'm sure this has happened to many of us just as we've grown up and, and become adults. We've, we've lost our, our innocence and our carefreeness, just like, just like the, in the movie The Elf. But what does Jesus say? He says we need to be like who? We need to be like children. We need to have faith like a child. But because Zechariah doubted, God silenced his voice. Why? Because doubt can't live in the presence of God, nor can it stop his plans. And God is saying, yes, Zechariah, your words will be silenced because my words will come to reality. And thus, he wasn't able to speak until the baby came. Maybe there are some of you here today, including myself, that need to just shut our mouths And open up our ears and our hearts to hear what God is saying. Zechariah missed out. And this silencing of his voice couldn't have happened at a more inconvenient time. You know, after, while he was burning the incense outside, there was a large crowd of priests and worshipers that were, that were gathered, they were worshiping, and they were there waiting in anticipation for him to come out and pronounce a blessing and bring a message of hope from his experience inside the sanctuary. They were all ready to go. They had musicians and, and instruments and cymbals and trumpets, and this is what this, this entire crowd would have looked like. And this was the moment that Zechariah was waiting for his whole career. He was supposed to come out. And as a bonus, he actually heard from God. He was supposed to come out and get to this crowd and light it up. But when he finally came out, he could not speak because his doubt had left him speechless. How many of you have put your Christmas lights outside? few people? I think that house looks a little familiar to some of us. <laughs> How many of you put your, your lights out and, and uh, you've kind of embodied C- Clark Griswold and went out and kind of did this, this entire thing? You know, one thing you learn about Christmas lights that you learn through trial and error, especially with the old lights is this, what happens after, like you could be spending hours putting all, you know, all these lights out and setting this all out, and with the old set of lights, what happens when one of the lights breaks or goes fused? They all go, right? So if one of these lights go out, they all get fused, and you could spend the entire day setting up this whole amazing display, and all of a sudden, one of them goes out, you have no idea which one it is, and then like three-fourths of the entire setup turns off. And it's so frustrating. And you have to replace the entire thing or you have to find the, the, you know, the one that, that doesn't work. You know, although God always has the final word and his plans always come to fruition, whether or not you want to be a part of it or not, just like the Christmas lights, if your life is filled with doubt, and your light goes out. It'll stop the flow and hinder the light coming to all the darkness around you. And all those living in darkness that need to see the light too. And instead of using you, God will simply use someone else to bring his light and his message across. And this brings us to our last point. Faith gives back our voice. Faith gives back our voice. Let's look at verse 23. When Zechariah's week of service in the temple was over, he returned home. Soon afterward, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and went into seclusion for five months. How kind the Lord is, she exclaimed, he has taken away my disgrace of having no children. Verse 57, we're going to jump to 57. When it was time for Elizabeth's baby to to be born, she gave birth to a son. And when her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had been very merciful to her, everyone rejoiced. When the baby was eight days old, they all came out for the circumcision ceremony. They wanted to name him Zechariah after his father. But Elizabeth said, no, his name is John. What, they exclaimed, there is no one... In all your family by that name. So they used gestures to ask the baby's father what he wanted to name him. He motioned for a writing tablet. And to everyone's surprise, he wrote, his name is John. Instantly, Zechariah could speak again. And he began praising God. All fell upon the whole neighborhood. And the news of what had happened spread throughout the Judean hills. Everyone who heard about it reflected on these events and asked what will this child turn out to be? For the hand of the Lord was surely upon him in a special way. You see, God's word always, always comes true. When Zechariah was done with his work in the temple, he had gone home and he, and he was with his wife, and eventually his wife Elizabeth became pregnant with a child. And she said, how kind, how kind the Lord is. Elizabeth experienced this blessing that was promised to her, taking away her shame, taking away her disgrace, giving her an unspeakable joy and a new legacy. And this joy was not something that she shared alone, but it was shared with everyone in her neighborhood. It said all of her neighbors and her friends. they were excited because for the first time in their life or in anyone's life, they were seeing. An old woman who shouldn't have been able to have kids get pregnant and have a child. And this had to be a miracle of God. So what happens? Before verse 57, there's a whole other story that takes place there. The angel Gabriel also appears to Elizabeth's cousin, a young girl named Mary. And she tells her that she's going to conceive a child, not by a husband, but by Holy Spirit, and he will be the Messiah. But unlike Zechariah, Mary is humble, and she believes. And then Mary visits her cousin Elizabeth, and and there you have a young girl who's pregnant, an old woman that's pregnant, and they rejoice together. But Zechariah was silenced for nine months. But thank goodness that God is a God of second chances. Amen? Amen. Who here needed a second chance in their life? God is a God of second chances. Over those nine months, Zechariah had time to have his mouth shut and humble himself and think about everything that had happened over the course of those months. And it brought him from a place of unbelief to a place of repentance and belief. He surrendered his control Allowing God to be who he says he is. And when the time came for a son to be named, instead of just just being silent, he spoke up and he wrote something down. He could have remained silent and let all the other people there name him Zechariah after himself. They didn't even want to listen to what his wife had to say. And he could have just been silent and thought, you know what, it could be nice to carry on my legacy. This is the tradition but no. Instead, there was a complete surrender, and he affirmed God's final word and definitively wrote down that the child's name is John, which means God is gracious. And just like that, he was able to have his voice back from God. You know, at the end of the movie, The Elf, there's a problem because there is a shortage Of Christmas spirit. The Christmas spirit level meter had gone down so low because of all the angry and grumpy New Yorkers that were out there that don't don't want to believe. And then one character is there, his name is, her name was Jovi, and she had a very beautiful voice, but she was shy and afraid to sing it out. All of a sudden, she just starts singing uh, a Christmas song, and as she sings that, all the New Yorkers stop and they start singing that song too and they start celebrating and, and all over the city, people are singing this song and it starts reigniting the level of Christmas spirit and Santa's sleigh starts to be able to start up again. When Zechariah went from a place of doubt to a place of faith, something happened. He had a healing in his heart But not only that, he had a healing in his voice. God gave him another chance to do what he had failed to do, to get lit and to be able to light up others. It said that awe fell across the whole neighborhood and news spread all over what had happened. And everyone's level of faith in that region jumped up to a new level in anticipation of what was going to be true of this child. When Zechariah opened up his mouth, he no longer had words of doubt but he had words of praise and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and he also proclaimed this this song of prophecy. And just as the angel Gabriel had delivered a message of hope to him, he was now finally able to speak and deliver God's message of hope to the people. Let's see what, what he says. Verse 67. Then his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and he gave this prophecy Praise the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has visited and redeemed his people. He has sent us a mighty savior from the royal line of his servant David, just as he has promised through his holy prophets. And you, verse 76, my little son, will be called the prophet of the Most High because you will prepare the way for the Lord. You will tell his people of how to find salvation through the forgiveness of sins. Because of God's tender mercy, the morning light... Will come from heaven, is about to from heaven, is about to break on us. To give light to those who sit in darkness in the shadow of death and to guide us to a path of peace. Everything that was prophesized of this child John the Baptist came true. He brought a whole generation of revival to the people of Israel, preparing the way for Jesus and baptizing. You know, it's one thing to experience. Joy, after you see the blessing, like Zechariah, after you actually see it and you're able to hold it. But the true blessing of the Christian life is that God wants his children to experience joy before the blessing comes. And that is the life of faith. The faith heroes in the Bible knew the secret of being able to rejoice before the blessings. In verse 46, it talks about how Mary also has a song of praise that she sings, but the difference is this. She sang her song before the blessing came. Why? Because she knew that God always has a final say and God's word will always come true so thus she can rejoice today brothers and sisters, when do you sing your song of faith? Is it only in times of blessing or do you sing your song of faith in the midst of the suffering, in the middle of the storm, in the times when you don't know what is happening, and in the seasons where God is seemingly silent to you before the blessing has come? Maybe there are some of you here today that you are experiencing doubt in your life right now that is blocking you from experiencing faith this Christmas. What area of doubt have you been holding on to? Doubt in his timing, doubt in his provision, doubt in his instructions, doubt in his promises. It's time to let that go. As we close, what I want to leave you with is is three different reminders and three different steps to conquering doubt in this season. First, use doubt as an opportunity. Doubt is a reminder to us not to miss out on the present, not to miss out on the moment. When we feel the presence of doubt, ask yourself, are you allowing the enemy to steal your joy from the blessings that you experience right now? And if so, in Jesus' name, tear down those walls and embrace the moment of his presence. Doubt is also an indicator of our limitation and an opportunity for God's power. When your abilities end, that's where God's power begins. Maybe there's some of you here today that, that you are that you need to surrender control and, and you need to surrender. You're saying, God, I'm tired of trying to solve my own problems with my own time and my own resources and my own strategies. I need your power to meet me here in this place. And I want you to, I want to invite you to stand together as we get prepared for worship. Doubt is also silenced by our Worship. You know, the only thing louder than doubt is our voice of worship and our voice of praise. If you are facing doubt right now in this season, it's time to sing your song of worship. It's time to sing your song of faith, because worship is saying that whatever God says about himself is true, whatever God says about me is true, and that his promises are true, and we are agreeing on that. Why don't you just close your eyes and and focus on bringing that doubt to the cross. God used an impossible situation for his plan of salvation. For any situation of doubt that you are facing now in your life. Remember that God did not say silent, but he spoke a word. And that word became flesh and his name is Jesus. And he sent his son, Jesus, to give us a new life, to forgive us, to give life to the fullness here and forever, and to forgive us. And he is here right now, and we have the opportunity to experience that joy and not think about the future and not think about all the things that are out of our control. God uses everyday people like you and like me to bring his kingdom. let's put aside our doubt and reignite the engine of faith and let us be the voice and the light of truth in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, and in our community so that in a world of darkness we would bring a voice of hope and light and truth that the Messiah is here. So with that, let us all join together in worship praise as we usher in this Christmas season. It was great having you with us today. We do hope that this sermon inspired you to know Christ and make him known. For more sermons and resources please visit us at Plain Church